Good evening. If, uh, if you're sitting beside somebody that I teach, just sort of turn and quietly whisper to them, you are the reason that man looks so tired tonight. Because like, I think there's a conspiracy in Portadown College to try and wipe me out. Sir, will you revise this? Sir, will you revise that? Sir, will you revise that again and teach that again? That revision class you did at lunchtime yesterday, will you do it again tomorrow? Man, I'm wrecked. But it's good to be here. Um, it's always class to come back here and enjoy myself when I'm here, sometimes a little bit too much. Uh, but we're doing, we're doing the fruit of the Spirit. You've been doing that for four weeks. And, uh, and I get the, the chance to finish things off tonight with the last two in the list. Let me just tell you what we're talking about tonight. It's gentleness and self-control. Gentleness and self-control. Who, who sort of bounced out of bed this morning and said, God, I want to be gentle? Anybody do that? No? It's not a very appealing thing at first glance, is it, to be gentle? We don't want to be gentle. We want to be tough, don't we? We want to be strong and we want to, uh, you know, take vengeance on our enemies and do all sorts of things like that. But, but Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and self-control. So I want to get straight into tonight, into these two, these last two fruits that are left in the bowl for me to pick out tonight, um, and get straight into what this gentleness lark is all about. Um, if you're familiar with the older versions of the Bible, there's, there's another word that's used here for gentleness, and it's the word meekness. That sounds even worse, doesn't it? Meek, nobody bounced out of bed this morning and said, God, make me meek, because meek sounds an awful lot like Anything else? Weak. I make sound, and we think meek people there. You know, the, the meekness for me, that word, you know, before I have sort of studied it out here, it conjures up the image of some great watery drip who would blow over in a sneeze. You know, somebody who just doesn't have much substance to them or backbone to them, a meek person. But you know what? The Bible says Jesus was meek, so I guess I'm wrong. Um, it's, it's a really difficult word to actually translate into English, the word that's used here for meekness or gentleness, which is fruit number eight in the, in the fruit of the Spirit. But it, it carries, let me give you a few different illustrations or words that might help you understand what meekness or gentleness actually means. First of all, and you'll think this is a stitch tonight, me telling you this, but here's the truth of it. The word means teachable. Somebody that is meek is teachable. They can be taught. Yeah, now this is not a conspiracy. This is not, you know, a guilt trip to how you felt on Friday afternoon when you weren't really listening in my classroom. But a person who is meek can be taught. They will listen. Now, when I was 18, you know, three years ago, when I was 18 and I was knocking around these very halls, I knew it all, and I know some of you guys in particular, you probably know it all right now, but a few years down the line, you realize you don't quite know it all. And the sooner you get this sort of teachable thing developed inside you, the better. Because all around you, there are people who want to sort of pour a wee bit of wisdom into your life and help you out. And if you reject that and arrogantly think you know everything, you're going to waste a lot of years. So the sooner you get over that, the better. Especially in, in the context of God's Word. You know, James 1.21 talks about us receiving the Word of God with meekness and being able to be changed by it. Every time I read this book, and I've been reading it for quite a while, and every time I read this, I read it with the attitude of, God, I want you to change me. 
I want you to go into the areas of my life where I am not right, where my thinking is messed up, where my attitudes are messed up, and I want you to change me. I'll give you a couple of examples of where that's happened. When I got saved, when I was 21, I started reading Christian books straight away, but I didn't choose them very carefully. And I was reading, I'm not even going to name the guy because I don't want to slag people off, but I was reading a guy and uh, his books, there were two main themes in a lot of his books. One, he absolutely slaughtered Pentecostals. He really did. He really went after everything to do with Pentecostalism and he nailed it down. So he didn't like that and he was mad keen on a certain interpretation of the end times. Have you heard of the end times? the end of the world and how people interpret parts of Revelation and stuff like that. He was mad into that big time. And because he was the only person I was reading, I assumed everything was right. And I became somebody who, who then laughed at Pentecostals and then who uh, mocked anyone who did not agree with that particular view of the end of the world. That was me. I giggled at those weirdos in the Pentecostal. Have you ever met the weirdos in the Pentecostal church? Like, you know, and they're sort of can't stand still and they talk funny sometimes like they sound a bit like like orcs you know out of lord of the rings the way they talk sometimes when they're praying and all goes a bit crazy these weird people and i sort of i disliked them because i'd read this book and this guy had told me to dislike them but then i read this book here and i started to pay very close attention to it and i can remember one day thinking you're wrong <laughs> spence you're totally wrong on this you have held the wrong attitude towards these people and towards these things. And now I'm Pentecostal right down to the tips of my toes, baby. And I'm standing there tonight while, while my, two, my two brothers here, two tablers will have you know, while my two brothers here are leading worship and I'm just like, just keep your hands down, keep your hands down. You can get them up tomorrow night, keep them down. Because I'm just, I've totally changed my view and I've changed my view because I received God's word with meekness. I didn't, I didn't read it with arrogance thinking I'm right and I'm not being changed. I allowed God to change me. And the same with that whole idea of the end of the world, which really isn't that big a deal to be honest anyway, what you believe on it. But I remember again just studying the Bible and suddenly thinking I'm totally wrong in this. And I've actually done Bible studies in it and I've taught people about it and I'm totally wrong. You know, do you have that attitude, that ability to just sort of hold the hands up and say, I've messed up, I'm incorrect. I held attitudes towards certain people for a long time, certain types of people who lead certain types of lifestyle. And I led a really hard-hearted attitude towards them for a long, long time. And then I felt, you know, God said to me one time, yeah, those people, their lifestyle's wrong, but you know what, your attitude to them is wrong as well. In fact, maybe it's even worse. Your nastiness to them and your harshness. And I can remember a friend saying to me a couple of years ago, you've really mellowed out. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's good. Maybe that's good that you're noticing that I'm still able to be changed. I'm still teachable. I can be taught and I can listen to what people say. Recently, I've had a, a sort of a, a new family have got to know us. And, and the man of that family has, has really challenged me about how I live about how busy I am and how many things I do. And he's just, he's just sort of probing at me and saying, you can't go on like this. You've got to make some changes. And you know what? He's right. And it's great to just be able to, to, to sit and allow someone to probe into your life and to acknowledge, you're right. I do need to make changes. I do need to let you give me some advice and give me some wisdom. So I would advise you 16 to 18 year olds in particular who know everything about everything. You don't, okay? And the sooner you realize that and you get some meekness into you and you allow people to teach you, the better. Here's another thing that this word meekness means. 
Have you ever heard of the concept of breaking a horse? A wild horse being broken to make it tame? Have you, have you heard of that concept? Yeah? Some people are nodding. You, know, you get these wild horses, and I don't know what way people do it now, but back in the day, um, you would have got two guys, and they would have put ropes on the horse and basically pulled the horse in two different directions. And the horse would have resisted and resisted and would have fought against it. And then the horse realizes after a while, there's no point in resisting anymore. And then one of them comes along and puts a saddle. I nearly said salad. Puts a, a saddle on the, on the back of the horse. And the horse goes bonkers again with this thing on its back. doesn't like it. And then after a while, it realizes there's no point in resisting this thing staying on. And then, lo and behold, some human climbs up onto the saddle and sits on the horse, and the horse goes mad again, and then after a while realizes there's no point in resisting. And then you get to the point that all it takes is a wee flick of the hand on the rein, a wee, a wee touch of the heel on the horse's body, and the horse changes direction and responds and does everything the rider wants it to do. And that's what the Greek word behind this gentleness, this meekness actually means. It's like the, the breaking of a horse. And I tell you, when I jump out of bed in the morning, I do say, God, I, I do want to be meek because I want the gentlest little prompting from my father to actually cause me to change direction and cause me to do things and cause me to respond like a horse that has been broken in and trained and all that power that it has is now harnessed and responsive to, to the one who's controlling it. Meek people, gentle people are sensitive to God. They allow God to change them and change their character gentleness again is is what the word means and you know what that word means but you probably think of some little dainty you know child some little cherub who would never cause anybody very gentle it's not what the word means really in this context at all it means that you're gentle in how you deal with other people i don't know if you've got this the whole way along i'm sure you have but the fruit of the spirit is not something you do in a cave on your own the fruit of the spirit is all worked out in relationships with other people and gentleness is how we are to other people. It's basically this. When you have the power and the ability to absolutely wreck somebody and you don't do it, that's gentleness. That's gentleness. When you, if you, if you look at Galatians 6.1, if we can get that up at any chance, it says, Brothers and sisters, or brothers, if, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So you find out that somebody has done something wrong and you're going to talk to them about the thing they've done wrong. If somebody has got the fruit of the Spirit and the character of God working in their life, they will be very gentle about how they do that. They won't wreck that person. They won't sort of turn green and muscly and rip out of their shirt and just smash everything all around them in anger because of what's happened. They will go and look, what, look at what it says in that second line there. It says that the whole object is to restore that person. Not to make them feel bad, not to put them down, not to condemn them. You're going in gentleness in order to restore them. And frequently you will find, especially in leadership positions, you will find yourself dealing with people and if you deal with them gently, it makes all the difference. You better believe I'm glad God deals gently with me because although you may not actually believe this, I do some stupid things from time to time. I really do screw up from time to time. I really do. I do things that are embarrassing. Do you know the people that I apologize to most in my life? They're my children. <laughs> you know? 
every now and again, Daddy just, just he's tired and all these things and he says things maybe or, or responds in a way that he shouldn't and, and I find myself sitting down with my children with my five-year-old son and just saying, son, I'm sorry, I, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been angry about that or I should have dealt with that differently. I'm, I'm glad God deals with me gently that the little things I do don't cause him to just squash me like a fly. And I try then to reflect that in how I deal with other people. Do you know who was gentle in the Bible? Who was meek in the Bible? Moses was described as the most meek person on the face of the earth. Now Moses was the dude that stuck his stick in the river and the river turned to blood. And then he held his stick out over the sea and the sea parted. Moses was, was quite a powerful man in God's hands. But he was an incredibly meek man. He was a man, when you read the, the, the story of how the children of Israel came out of Egypt, you read again and again how they grumbled and they complained and they moaned incessantly. Miraculous food was provided and they moaned about having to eat the same food every day. They, they just gurned all the time and Moses continually just went to God. He didn't lash out at them. He always just went to God to God, what do I do? How do I sort these people out? He was gentle with the people. He was meek. And Jesus, of course meek, gentle. Was he a powder puff? Was he a wuss when he was throwing tables around the temple? When he was standing at Lazarus' tomb so furious with death? Was he weak? No, weak about him. He was meek. He was gentle. His gentleness was seen because he had an opportunity to restore somebody. In John 21, he goes to the shore of Galilee after the resurrection and he meets Peter on the shore Peter has denied him three times and if you think that's a small thing it's not it's a massive thing Peter did a massively bad thing and Jesus meets him the only reason he went to Galilee that morning was to restore Peter and he didn't say to Peter three times Peter you really screwed up Peter you really messed up I can't believe you did that I can't believe you did it three times Peter no what he did was he went to Peter and he said three times do you, do you love me I want to cancel out what you've done, Peter. I want to restore you. And he was gentle. And Peter had a ministry that Jesus wanted him to fulfill. Jesus said to him each time when he said, do you love me? Peter said back to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus then said, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to look after my church, Peter. I've got a job for you. I've got a role for you. But I've got to restore you first. And he did it with beautiful gentleness. It really was incredible. So meekness, gentleness, maybe those pictures of the broken horse that's responsive might help you out. Maybe the, the notion of somebody that is teachable, that will listen to others. Like I'm not 18 or 21 anymore and I still sometimes when somebody comes and, and tries to give me advice, there's part of me that sort of rises up and says, I don't need this. But then you sort of suppress it and say, no, I do need this. I welcome this. I want this. You know, keep it coming. So that's meekness or gentleness. The last one in the list is self-control now I think this is the hardest one some people go to the first one to love and they say but it's really hard to love people you don't like I have no problem really to be honest loving people that I don't like but self-control when you want to really let go and give off self-control can be the tough one because you see self is the is the origin of all sin all sin is based around selfishness. It is all based around us taking for ourselves things that we really should not be taking. It's the great disease of society, selfishness. 
trampling over people and we've lost all control of self and what happens then is God has given us great gifts but because we are selfish and we have no self-control those gifts then wreck us you take food great gift awesome gift enjoyed a fantastic sirloin on Wednesday night with my sick form and they paid for it God bless them food is a tremendous gift but on one hand you've got people who just don't know when to stop and then on the other hand you've got people who won't eat and lack of control means that this gift becomes horribly distorted and destructive it's the same with sex wonderful gift put within the boundary of marriage but once people lose control of it it just destroys everything water and fire are examples you know water is a, is a powerful and a wonderful thing but when water's out of control it's destructive and the same with fire God has given us tremendous gifts, but we do not control ourselves, then these things can destroy us. And again, it's not something we naturally want to do. When somebody gets in your face, what is your natural response? You want to lash out. You want justice. You want revenge. I had a guy earlier this year, and I have never taken such an eating in my young life as I got from this guy earlier this year. Down the phone. And my mother could give me a good eating, but she couldn't match this fella for a moment. 20 minutes on the phone, 15 years younger than me, and he just lit into me. And I was everything you could possibly imagine. And I can remember the phone call vividly. I don't think I'll ever forget it, for it was pretty wild. And I remember the whole time just thinking, keep your mouth shut, just be quiet. Just don't bite back. Just don't give him anything that he can use against you in the future. And in fact, I stopped the guy, a Christian guy, and I stopped him three or four times during, during this sort of 20-minute tirade, and I said, listen, you, sh- you should stop, because you know what? Someday, you're going to look back on this, and you're going to regret it. You're going to wish you hadn't done it. You're letting yourself down here. And, and there was within me, there was the desire to just lash out. I knew I was right, and I don't say that arrogantly. And if I had called the 10 most mature Christians I know and put the situation in front of them, every one of them would have said, David, you're right. I knew I was right. I knew I could have flattened this fella in a moment. But I didn't do it. Because you know what? There's no, there's no godliness in that. There's no Christ-likeness in that. There's a great writer, and you should, you should aim to read him maybe when you're a bit older. He's, he's, he's a deep enough thinker, a guy called Dallas Willard. And he talks about the discipline of not having the last word. You know when you're having that wee argument with somebody and you just want to have the last word. You just want to nail it. And he talks about just being able to button your lip, let somebody eat the face off you and walk away. That's self-control and that's hard. I love that guy. And no problem loving him. But self-control was really tough on that occasion. I'll give you another example. I got punched one time. I got punched lots of times. Um, but there's just one time in particular that sticks out in my memory. It was, um, it was a Kernan. It was about 16, 15, 16 years ago. And I was a leader in a BB company in Portadown. Fourth Portadown BB company. The finest of them all. In this very building. I was a leader in the senior section for about five years because I went through the BB myself most of my, my childhood and I wanted to come back and, and give something back. And I was coaching the football team and they were in a semi-final on a night round about May time. They were in a semi-final down at Kernan and uh, unfortunately I was refereeing. 
refereeing's a hateful thing. Okay, refereeing is, is, is just suffering for Jesus. Refereeing BB football, it really is. I was refereeing this match, and it was a fairly snappy, it was an under-18 game, and it was a fairly snappy thing, you know, because fourth poor down boys always give their best, don't they? Right, okay, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Um, it was a fairly snappy occur, and there was, there, 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 was, there was one fella who was just a bit snappier than all the rest. Big lad, kicking, tackling hard, and cursing and getting on. Wasn't on our team, wasn't, you know, of course. They wouldn't do that. And um, at the end of the match, we lost 1-0. And at the end of the match, when I was sort of shaking hands with, with boys in both teams and doing the whole silly thing that you do, uh, he, he gave me a mouthful. He gave me a foul-mouthed boom, you know. And so I red-carded him after the final whistle, which you can do. He maybe didn't realize you could do that, but you can do it. I red-carded him, and that was that. I went back towards the changing rooms. And as I went into the changing rooms, he came over to me and he punched me in front of all my boys. Now just think about that for a minute. Right? I've, got, I've got about 15 of my boys behind me, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, lads that I'm with every week. And I loved them, I really did. I still see some of them the odd time. I absolutely loved those guys. And this fella has come up to me and he's landed one in my face in front of them. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? And you know, I don't know if you ever have these moments where in a split second, it's almost as if God just downloads a whole pile of stuff into you that would take a lot more than a split second to say. And in a split second, I just felt God saying, if you retaliate, you will never be able to stand in front of these boys again and talk to them about following Jesus. You'll never be able to stand in front of them and talk to them about Christ-like character and about the fruit of the Spirit if you lash out against this guy. And you might look at me and say, Spence, you're very short. You don't have a long reach and you're maybe not going to be able to do much to this guy. But believe it or not, back in those days, I was lifting four times a week and I probably could have dealt with him all right. But I just remember that moment. I remember sitting, I'll never forget sitting in the change room afterwards and the boys were dead quiet because they knew I was totally humiliated. They knew I was totally humiliated. And a few of them, you know, on the way home afterwards or, or you know, afterwards when, when people were getting picked up and they were going away, they, 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 they said things, you know, they just they sort of commended me. But I can remember sitting there. I tell you, self-control is tough. You want to follow Jesus? You want the fruit of the Spirit to be born out in your life? You're going to face some very tough circumstances where everything in you wants to lash out. And justice would demand that you lash out and nobody would probably tell you that you were wrong for lashing out but you lose your testimony and the following Thursday night I wouldn't have been able to sit with those guys and, and talk about, about following Jesus because they would say well here did you not wallop somebody last week <laughs> it's tough this gig that's why self control I feel is, the, is possibly the pinnacle of Christian character you start out the fruit of the spirit with love and I guess maybe different from person to person, but I think self-control is one of the toughest things to mirror. What made it difficult was a few months later, I started a teaching practice in Portadown College. God bless it, for three months. And he was an upper sixth. And I saw him every day. And he smirked at me in the corridor every day. <laughs> oh, it was tough. 
It was tough. Yeah. But you see, if you don't have self-control, you won't have a ministry. There's a prominent guy in the United States just in the last few years, and his ministry, he's being restored now, but his ministry really hugely crumbled around him over the past couple of years. He's a guy that I really enjoyed listening to. And um, he was a very gifted preacher and communicator, but he, he didn't have self-control. And in the, in the church meetings and the governance meetings and things like that, he was lashing out at people, and he was shouting at people, and he was losing the rag and losing his temper. And his ministry collapsed around him because he had no self-control. He, his self was out of control. And I know other people who are like that as well. And the Bible, the greatest example of it is a dude called Samson. I love Samson. I think it's a great story, but boy, he really messed up again and again. Incredible power. Incredible power. You know, Samson Samson would have taught the sick formers a thing or two about end-of-term pranks because Samson went down to the city of the enemies, lifted their gates and their gateposts, put them across the back of his neck and ran 30 miles up to the top of a hill and put them on the top of the hill. That's a prank, lads, all right? You, you need to aim higher. Samson, the amazing strength, amazing abilities, but he had no self-control at all. And he ended up just burning out way before his time. The end of his life is, is glorious briefly. There's a brief, beautiful glimpse of Jesus at the end of Samson's life when his, when his arms are held out like Jesus on the cross. And he brings down his enemies in his death. But up to that point, it's just a mess. Because the guy had no self-control. And what we do sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes if, you, if, we, if we, we get angry, we make the excuse. We say, well, I, I just lost it. I just lost it. You're not allowed to lose it. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're not allowed to lose it. The fruit of the Spirit says you've got to have self-control. And when you read in, in Timothy and in Titus and in other places where Paul is speaking to church leaders, he says, to them, he says this over and over again, you must be self-controlled. You're not allowed to lose it. You can't go lashing out at people. You've got to be gentle. This is about shepherding. It's about shepherding. What do you do if you've lost it? If you're sitting here tonight and you've maybe thought, Flip, I lost it earlier. I lost it with mom. I lost it with dad. I lost it with my wee brother. I lost it with a dog. And you just think, I, I lashed out earlier at somebody. You know, apologize. Make it quick to apologize. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But for goodness sake, folks, learn to say sorry quickly. Learn to go and put things right quickly face-to-face, maturely, whenever control is lost. And repent before God and make it right before Him as well. Who showed self-control in the Bible? Well, you know what? It was the same dude that showed gentleness and meekness. It's Jesus. Jesus shows us that it's possible to be angry without losing it. He went into the temple that day, and boy, he was angry. I love those pictures of Jesus when he's angry. love it. Love it when he gets angry at religious people that don't represent God. And he goes into the temple and wrecks all around him. Righteous anger. Did he lose it? No, he didn't lose it. He was in control the whole time. When he was being beaten and tortured before he was executed, he didn't say a word. It affected Peter deeply. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.23, he said, he said that though Jesus was reviled and abused, he didn't, he didn't retaliate. He didn't say a word. 
That's my role model. Do I want to have self-control? Yes, I do. Because I can tell you something, people will get in your face. They'll get in your face down the phone and they'll get in your face on the football pitch and I can tell you this, they'll get in your face in the church, in church leadership, in church planting, in whatever. People will get in your face and you need to be able to bite your lip. (laughs) You need to be able to bite your lip. Jesus showed incredible self-control on the cross. People spat in his face. I've never had anybody spit in my face. People spat in his face. Incredible. Self-control. Didn't retaliate. He basically did the same thing Moses would do when people got in. He just handed it over to God. You deal with it. I hand those people over to God. Those people that get in my face say, God, you deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it. You deal with it. You know? You ever say, I'm going to get my daddy to sort you out? Do you ever do that? Like, yeah, in the playground. Or I can get my, my dad's bigger than your dad. Tell you what, my dad is bigger than your dad. <laughs> Put it into God's hands. Just let him sort it out. Don't get drawn into it. Don't lose your testimony. Don't give people something that they can hold against you. You're representing Christ in all that you do. Don't, don't lash out and then give people something that they can bring and use against you. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is its the character of Jesus. This is not, it's not just any old love. It's the love that Jesus shows. It's not just any old goodness or, or kindness. It's the goodness and kindness that Jesus shows. It's not any old self-control. It's the, the self-control that he showed. And following Jesus, guys, as I'm sort of wrapping up and just concluding the, the series here, following Jesus is not about rules. It's about character. It's about transformation. I know people who keep all the rules, but their character just sucks. They're not like him at all. I know they go to church and they dress right and they talk right and they sing right, and they, but their, their character is not Christ-like. And one of the things that I think <clears throat> we really need to get a handle on in the church in general is that gifts are not everything. People think gifting is the most important thing. He's a good preacher. We'll get him to preach. I would say, what's his character like? How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his children? How does he treat his siblings? That person's a fantastic musician, great worship leader. Let them, well, hang on. I want to know their heart. Don't know what they're like. Don't just fall into the trap of because somebody is gifted that we automatically put them in a position. That wee girl's fantastic with children. Let's make her a Sunday school teacher. No, no, hang on, hang on. What's her character like? What's her character like? Does she nyatter does and gossip with the rest of them, or is she different? Is she showing the character of Christ? You see, power is nothing without control. And just because somebody is gifted does not mean they automatically get given a position of ministry. The character is important. I have watched people's ministry crumble around them because they were tremendously gifted, but they did not have the character. You get the difference? We talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm big into that as a Pentecostal person. I'm big into that. But you know what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, and forgive me if this passage was mentioned on the first night, probably was, But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, you know what? You can talk in tongues all day long. If you don't have love, you're nothing. I don't care. 
if you don't have the character, if you don't have the fruit, you've got nothing. You can prophesy all day long, but if you don't have love, don't be taken in by people who seem to be super gifted. Be taken in by people who look like Jesus. Who show forth his character to the world around them. You maybe sit tonight and you look at the fruit of the Spirit and there's, there's nine things there and there's other things mentioned in other places in the, in the scriptures that, that aren't mentioned here. And you look at that and you think, I'm not doing too bad. I'm maybe a five or a six out of nine. You know, I've got the whole love thing pretty good and I'm, I'm reasonably joyful and at peace and forbearance isn't great. But I'm kind, I'm good, reasonably loyal, faithful, the gentleness thing I need to work on, self-control, that's, that'll come sometime. And you think to yourself, five or six out of nine ain't bad. But you know what? The pass mark for this test is 100%. We don't get to look at this list and just say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do those seven things really well, but those other two that I struggle with, I'm going to let them go. No. The fruit of the Spirit is all of these things. It doesn't matter if you've got all eight, if you've got no self-control, if you can't control your tongue, you fail. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? I have problems with this. I've had this tongue 38 years. It's the original. I've never replaced it. And I still have trouble with it. I still find myself in positions where there's words on the tip of my tongue and I'm just like, if I could just use these words, it would really help me to express how I feel. You know? It would really help me help this other person who's annoyed me to understand just quite how much they've annoyed me if I was to use these particular words. I still struggle with that. I don't do it, but I struggle with it. Big time. And I need to be very careful that I don't make excuses and say I'm doing pretty good in the other things and it doesn't really matter if I'm not doing this one. I need you to understand as we finish tonight that this is not about you looking at that and thinking I need to work on that. Don't go out with that attitude. Don't be looking at self-control and saying boy I'm not too hot on the self-control. I'm going to go out I'm going to work on my self-control. No. The attitude you go out with is I'm going to let God work on my self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what God does in you. This is not what you do by your own willpower or by your own strength. Paul does not say in, in Galatians 5, a couple of verses earlier, he does, in verse 16, he does not say, try harder and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. He says, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. Let me tell you something about the Christian life, guys. It's an empowered life. It's not you read all this and you think, well, I need to do all of these things and then I'll get the ticket to heaven and I'll be okay. No, when you get saved, when you get born again, God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. And when something that big and that awesome comes and lives inside you, you will change. It'll happen automatically. I had a guy at a table a few weeks ago and, and, he, and he blessed me. He came. He would usually be here. He's not here tonight. But he, he came to me and he said, you know what, my, my dad says that I've really changed this last couple of months. He's really noticing a change in me. And I'm like, I'm loving that. But a guy that came, he's, he's, he's not living in, in the country now, so obviously he's not here, but he, he came for about a year and he changed massively. And I remember saying to him, you've changed so much. Nobody told you to do these seven, eight or nine things but you've just been in the presence of God and you've walked with God and he has changed you. It's God that does the work. It's not legalism and it's not a list of rules. It's about God coming in here and changing me and me just going with it, me being the responsive horse. 
so that he can give me a flick and a kick from now and again and I respond and I move the way he wants me to. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's organic. It's alive in you. Don't think you need to try hard, harder. You don't. You just need to yield to God and let him change you the way he wants to change you. There's a great verse in Ezekiel 36 that I just want to leave with you. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. God is, is talking about when the Holy Spirit will come. And he says to the people, he says, I will put my spirit in you and you will obey my laws. He doesn't say you will try harder. He says the thing, the ticket, the thing that will make the difference is that I will put my spirit in you and you will obey my laws. Back in the Old Testament, there were commandments. Commandments like, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you, those commandments turn into promises. And it's almost as if he's whispering to you, you're not going to kill anyone. I'm here, and I'm changing you. You're not, you shall not steal. You're not going to even want to steal because I'm changing you. You won't commit adultery. You won't want to because I'm changing you. And it's no longer a command that's put in front of us as a declaration, you must not do this. It's now a promise. He's now living within, inside us and saying, you're not going to do this because I'm here. You get the difference? This is fruit. This is the Spirit of God dwelling inside us. And I would just beg of you guys to, to leave behind all attitudes that the Christian life is about ticking boxes and getting things right. It's about allowing God to come in and just say, do what you want. I don't know if I've used it before, but Spider-Man analogy. Have I used it? can't remember. One or two oldies are nodding. You know, you youngsters haven't heard it. Spider-Man, simple stuff. Peter Parker gets bitten by a spider, starts to behave like a spider. As a Christian, I've been bitten by the Holy Ghost. I've been bitten by God. I've been bitten by Jesus. I've been infected by him. And you know what? As the months and years go by, I start doing Jesus stuff because he's infected me. I start acting like him and behaving like him. That's the Christian life, guys. Get, get free from rules. Get free from legalism and start walking in the Spirit and allowing the power of God to change you. Can I just pray for you before the, the guys come up? Father, thank you for, for your word tonight. Thank you for these, for these guys and for how well they've listened, Lord. I just pray that you'll, you'll move in their hearts now, Lord, by your Spirit. Just pray that people will be set free from thinking they have to be better at self-control or any other thing that we've looked at over the last few weeks. And that instead there'll, be, there'll just be a yielding and an opening up to you and a, an invitation to say, God, come and change me. Come and make me more like Jesus. Come and produce these characteristics in me. And I just pray, Father, that the standard will be high, that we will not aim low and say, well, six out of nine ain't bad, but Lord, we will want... 100% here. We will want the character of Christ fully formed within us so that the people around us will see it and be affected by it. So God, I just ask you to bless these guys tonight. Keep them safe. Keep them walking with you, Lord. Just bless the banter and the crack that they'll have afterwards, Father. Those that are under pressure now as exams are coming up, God, I just pray your hand upon them. Help them, Lord, and be with them. In Jesus' name, amen.